Welcome to MedTech Chat, where we discover the latest healthcare tools, device technology, as well as research approaches. We'll be talking to designers, insight professionals, and other executives to better understand how MedTech is helping patients and those caring for them now and in the future. So I'm very excited today to be talking to Ritesh Patel. He builds himself as a digital evangelist and has been focused on how tech can impact healthcare for a decade. He works at the intersection of health tech, innovation, and digital. His motto for healthcare is, if it moves, digitize it. So thanks for joining me today, Ritesh. My pleasure, Tom. Thanks for having me. It's nice to speak to you. And I'm just curious, as we get started here, maybe you can tell us about your motto uh, as well as kind of how you got into this space to begin with. Certainly, you know, the motto, if it moves, digitize it, was sort of put together maybe when I got into this crazy healthcare industry that we're in. Uh, I, I, it was completely by accident. I was working at Cushman and Wakefield Real Estate, believe it or not, doing uh, working in the IT function, doing CRM projects, and I was deploying a global CRM solution for brokers. And uh, we just delivered it, and a new CIO had just arrived, and uh, they were cleaning house, so they gave me a good incentive to go away, and I was going to plan to just take a couple of months off. Uh, the Euro soccer were on the television in 2009, and I thought, you know what, take August off, just watch the soccer games, you know, drink a few beers, hang out on the sofa, and I got a call from a friend of mine who I hadn't sort of spoken to in about 10 years or so, and uh, she worked for a company called Chandler Kiko PR, which is a healthcare PR agency, and said, look, we need a chief digital officer, you should come work for us. And my initial reaction was, look, Julie, I know nothing about PR or healthcare, uh, and she's, she's like, look, we know, not, we know nothing about digital. You should come over and have a chat. So I did. And what was supposed to be a 30-minute chat turned into an hour and a half, and I walked out with a job offer. And that's how I got mm-hmm. into this. My first, my first week, I was sent to the FDA hearings on the use of social media for marketing and promotion of pharmaceutical products. So you can imagine it was uh, drinking through the fire hose straight away. But what I realized was, gosh, this industry is so not digital, it's so analog, so much reliance on paper and faxes and everything else, and that's where I came up with the motto. Hmm. That's great. Thanks for sharing that. Um, and it's interesting, I, I know I've seen you at uh, one, if not a few different conferences where you're giving you know, one of the keynotes, um, which is kind of what brought me to ask you to, to join me here, but I'm curious what innovation means for healthcare in your point of view? So I think, you know, you, innovation can be termed in a, a lot of ways. And over the last maybe three years or so, where I really focused very deeply on innovation, um, it's not for the sake of innovation, which is where I think some people get it wrong. You've got the bodies that go, look, you know, this, this is a, you know, two, three trillion dollar industry. I'm going to go disrupt it totally without understanding the impact. One of the things I learned early on, which was drummed into me, was that what we do makes a difference in a human being's life, but if we get it wrong, it can be catastrophic. People could die. So for me, innovation is, can you practically change what you're doing and do it better, but the outcome is amazing, right? So can we do things and in a way, ways of provi- the provision of healthcare or the way we think about healthcare 
uh, and can it make an impact and will it be better? Uh, sometimes we get so caught up in innovating for the sake of disrupting or for raising money or for doing something that we forget there's an outcome, particularly in healthcare, that you have to be mindful of. So for, for me, it's, I call it pragmatic innovation, if you wish. Yeah, it's very important. And certainly we've heard many instances where people were, you know, more focused on the innovation or the money and not really the outcomes and the healthcare uh, for the patients. So that's important to know. You know, when I first meet a startup who's got some really amazing idea, because everybody does, and the first question I always ask them is, are you aware of HIPAA? And if the answer is no, that's first red flag. So then you start the conversation differently. <laughs> that's an important point. Um, so obviously MedTech is booming. What are some of the trends that you're seeing? Yeah, so I've been following MedTech since 2015, uh, where I got fascinated by the number of um, amount of money that was being put into, at that time, mainly consumer-oriented things, right? If you go back six years, when it sort of started to really take off with people like Rock Health and Startup Health, etc., uh, the money was going into things like, you know, Fitbits and, and track your steps and uh, manage your diet and, you know, track how many calories you're doing and that sort of thing. So it was wearables and apps and very much consumer oriented. You know, how can we get people to literally take care of their wellness, if you wish? What I've seen over the last six years and particularly last two years is going more and deeper into clinical-oriented healthcare. So, you know, things, and I think part of that is because the FDA is also caught up uh, in saying, okay, this is good, but if you're going to make a claim that this thing is going to help you do something about diabetes or asthma or whatever, you better have it tested and let's make sure it does what it says on the tin. So more and more in the last two years, I've seen people coming in in two or three areas. One is around clinical uh, particularly pharma, where they're digitizing the clinical trial space, virtual trials, connected devices, remote patient uh, monitoring, that sort of thing. Hospitals, and what can we do with the, either equipment or process around the hospital itself, and then the GP. And what can we do to provide technologies, telehealth, and particularly in the last year because of the pandemic, things like telehealth, concierge care, 24-7 access, you know, those kinds of things are booming at the moment. Uh, but if we are seeing an upstream of money coming in into clinical-grade things as opposed to the consumer-oriented, you know, just wear it and track your stuff for yourself kind of stuff. Hmm. I'm glad that you explained that. You know, one thing that brings up for me, and many times people are always asking me, you know, what do you mean by med tech? What's involved? How do you categorize things? And so it's interesting that you kind of have talked about consumer versus clinical. Are there other ways for people to be thinking about how to divide up the space? Yeah, I think, you know, part of it, if you look at it in every essence, in an example, there is something that connects to something that tracks something and gives you something, right? So the aura ring, which is the, you know, the, the golden child at the moment of this year, which is a wearable as a ring that tracks your sleep and your steps and your blood oxygen, uh, allegedly, um, is connected to an app on your phone via Bluetooth that collects the data that you can then, if you want, pass on to your doctor. 
You know, the best example is a live call with the handheld six lead EKG. Imagine this, you as a consumer can walk into Target and go buy in a live call handheld EKG. If you have an, if you have AFib or you've had a heart event, you can then use that $189 device, uh, to keep track. So imagine I've just been prescribed by you AFib, uh, AFib medication. I can use this handheld EKG to keep track daily uh, of my heart rate. I can collect that data and I can even pass it on to my doctor. So if the cardiologist doesn't want you know see me or I don't want to go to the building for my checkup, they can still look at the charts and they can see the six lead EKG coming through with all of the data that they need. So that's what's happening and that's you know a device connected to an app that sends data to a physician. And we're seeing more and more of that coming through from a med tech perspective where we're seeing you know things like otoscopes and uh, ultrasounds and EKGs being digitized, minimized, connected to an app or a phone, and then collecting the data to send to the doctor. Excellent. Thanks for explaining that. Um, now, this term has come up, and I'm curious, you know, whether you think it's good or bad, uh, special purpose acquisition company, or SPAC. Tell us about that. Yeah, there you go. So this is all the rage at the moment. You know, uh, as I was telling you before we started recording, I moved here uh, back in the 80s for a while when I was a young, young single lad. And uh, I saw the dot-com boom, and then I went back to England for a while, and then I came back again. So this reminds me a bit of the dot-com boom. So, so much money going on from private investors, VCs, you know, private equity funds, etc., in um, healthcare, healthcare startups, Silicon Valley, Nashville, you know, Boston, uh, UK, Israel, Singapore, etc. Means you give up equity. What has happened is the SPAC has risen over the last 18 months as a vehicle for you to go raise money without sort of giving too much up and going through all the craziness of going public. A special purpose acquisition company is set up. It's already public or can be, uh, is, you know, it could be a penny stock company. You go acquire it and then you reverse yourself into that to become a public company. It's a lot less hassle than doing the roadshows, doing this, you know, the offering, going through all of the normal processes of going public. Uh, it's been around, you know, these things have been around for a while. I used to work at Ogilvy, which was owned by WPP a big, massive holding company of marketing services organizations. That started out when Sir Martin Sorrell, back in the 90s, went and acquired, uh, I think it was called Wire Paper Products, WPP, which was a penny stock in the UK stock exchange, and then he reversed it, you know, two agencies into it, and went public and took public money to go acquire a huge amount of agencies back in the 90s. So that's similar, it's similar to that. But that seems to be all the rage, and so many people are using this vehicle to go public as opposed to doing the traditional route of going public by reverse engineering themselves into an organization that's already there. Hmm. Well, it sounds like a good thing based on what you're saying, except for when you talked about a bubble. So I'm just curious, yes. is it good or is it bad? <laughs> uh, you know... <laughs> 
my, I guess it's what you've lived through, right? As I said, I've lived through the dot-com 1.0 bubbles, and I saw what happened then, and I can see exactly the same sort of thing happening. Everybody now wants to do a SPAC, right? So I'm going to go create a company. I'm going to get it to a scale of stage, and the VC's whole exit is, let's not go public. Let's just do a SPAC. So somewhere someone's going to run out of SPACs, right? <laughs> what will happen then? But it's, it's uh, yeah, absolutely a great idea. It's a great way. Look, uh, Sharecares just did it, now worth billions. Uh, the, the best one is Butterfly Networks. I've been following them since the day they started. And for them, it's, I think it's great because now it gives them the money and the scale to be able to produce the $2,000 handheld ultrasound, which makes a huge difference in the delivery of care. So for some of it, it's great stuff. For others, it's just the vehicles to go get more money, right? Gotcha. All right. Well, thanks for explaining that. Um, obviously, you have your pulse, you have the pulse of the marketplace, and you've been around for a while and kind of know what's going on uh, here and there. What do you see as exciting this year and next year? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, there's uh, there's some valuations going on that I sort of scratch my head against, but there are things that are happening that I go, wow, that's really good. And as I mentioned to you earlier, I really focus on what's going to make a difference, right? Um, I think there's a huge focus on mental health that's happening at the moment um, with either apps or services, coaches, access to mental health folks uh, that is fascinating and I think will make a big difference in in bringing mental health capabilities to people and services to people who can't access them for either location or expense, right? Uh, and I think we, are, we will, coming out of the pandemic, face a huge amount of mental health issues, particularly from our first-line workers in healthcare. I fear really for the nurses and the doctors whose whole world and being is to save lives. And now they're, they're doing what they're doing at the moment, and it has to take a toll. So mental health, I think, is going to be a big thing. And it's also being segmented. There's a great company, Evermore is called, that's come up with an app for teenagers. You know, look at social media and what they do, and this app uh, encourages you to not post on social and take control of your mental health and, and share with just a few folks, that sort of thing. So I think this year I'm really excited about that. The second thing I think is around rural health and delivery of care uh, to those places where right now you have to drive three, 400 miles to the nearest hospital, right, So or the nearest doctor. So how can we use tools and technologies, the combination of telehealth, the Alive Core EKG, maybe an Omron Bluetooth or a blood pressure cup, a stetho stethoscope, put it all together and then get that out to chronic patients as a kit so we can you know, provide care to them. Um, and then the third area that I think is, is fascinating at the moment is this whole remote patient management stuff that the hospitals are trying to figure out because of lockdowns and everything else. And there's a couple of companies that are coming through with, with specialized kits around that. So uh, those are the three areas I'm focused on and excited about. Well, yeah, I mean, that those three areas do sound exciting to me. Um, the You know, the mental uh, health space is so important, especially these days. So it, it's important for innovation there. Um, exactly. And I love the idea of going out to rural, you know, hard where people have a hard time finding a way to get to the physicians and uh, the hospitals. 
it's definitely an equity issue. So that's super important there. Um, and then I'm actually very interested myself in sort of the, the home health care space and remote monitoring. So I think that, as you say, that's definitely uh, one of the trends coming up. I think, you know, people like Walmart and Walgreens and CVS are trying to figure this out as well because they've got physical spaces in places like Butte, Montana and, you know, middle of nowhere, West Virginia. So can we do something not brick and mortar oriented, but can we provide a, a, a sort of a capability that is at the intersection of digital and in-person and what can we do? The problem we have with those things is the pharmacist still doesn't get reimbursed for some of these services, but it could be interesting if we could get reimbursement for the pharmacist to provide some basic GP-oriented services using the tools and technologies in markets where there is no hospital or GP. So, mm. That's an interesting idea. Um, so of all the things you've seen, is there anything that makes you say, well, that was a dumb idea? <laughs> yeah, there's a few of those that I've come across in my time, you know, where you just go, that was interesting. I had the pleasure of being on the Stephen Colbert show one evening a couple of years ago when he did a thing on, C on CES. Uh, so if anybody is interested, go look up Stephen Colbert and put my name in. So just put in Stephen Colbert and CES. Uh, I think it was from 2018 or 2019. And it was a, a headband you put on to help you sleep. And the selling point of the headband was you didn't need any glue to keep it on your head. Uh, needless to say, it didn't go very far. But he, they, I guess he must have asked an intern to go find the dumbest things you can find from CES, and my picture came up with me wearing that headband. <laughs> I think I've seen that picture. That's really funny. Yeah, there you go. So I don't think that's all the light of day, to be honest with you, but I had the pleasure of testing it at CES. So. Huh. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you for all this. I'm curious, as we're kind of wrapping up here, um, you know, what historical figure or fictional character do you relate to or inspired by? As a young man growing up in an Indian household, uh, my father admired Gandhi a lot because he grew up in that era. He grew up during the whole transition and the creation of India and Pakistan and that sort of thing. So he revered Gandhi and it was always sort of this thing that fascinated me. But it wasn't until I was uh, maybe in my 20s when I actually started to read up on the man and what he did. Uh, and I still revisit the Gandhi biography now and again. I think he's an amazing human being and an inspiration from a what he achieved against what was going on but also the way he did it and his his whole attitude towards all of India and all of humanity as opposed to your special versus your special. And I always try and think of that every time I try and do these things in my daily life. So he's, he's the inspiration for sure. That's a great example. And especially these days as, you know, people are facing issues of, you know, um, lack of inclusion, you know, lack of equity, um, trying to do the right thing, um, but in a nonviolent way. So that's it's definitely an impressive exactly. person to be uh, inspired by. Thank you for that. Exactly. Um, yep. I'm curious if if people want to you know follow up with you or read more about you or connect with you. What's the best way they can do that? They can go to about.me, 
So about A-B-O-U-T dot M-E-M-E forward slash Ritesh Patel, R-I-T-E-S-H-P-A-T-E-L. Or they can follow me on Twitter at Ritters90, R-I-T-T-E-R-S for sugar, 9090. Either one of those will get me. Great. And I'll make sure to post those on the site as well. Uh, anything Super. else you wanted to say as we're uh, wrapping up here? I, I think right now, if you're in med tech, health tech, in the health industry in general, it's an exciting time to be. I know lots of people are sort of saying, you know, oh my gosh, you know, we're changing everything. But I think this is a good thing that's happening. And I'm really excited about the possibility of technology and medical technology being able to make a difference in someone's life who's sitting in rural West Virginia and it needs care. And we're able to do that using this stuff. So I'm really excited about it. And I would encourage folks to really explore the whole world of medical technology at the moment. It's very, very cool. Wow. Well said. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Tom. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Please check out medtechchat.com for more podcasts and blogs. See you there.